Welcome back everyone to the Operating List podcast. Today we have Dr. Raul Chakravarti to talk us through his journey in ophthalmology and where it has taken him around the world. If you missed our last episode last week on cataracts, make sure to check that out for some more stories and some high yield content on cataract surgery too. But for now, sit back and enjoy this Coffee Chat podcast episode. Welcome back. We loved having you on last week talking about cataracts and cataract surgery. And today we want to find out a bit more about ophthalmology. But to begin, tell us a little bit about how you got interested in medicine just as a whole. A good question, Angie. I um, So I was probably um, late to having a, a medicine as an aspiration. My first, I, I was always interested in optics and um, one of my hobbies is actually astronomy and astrophotography. So I love looking at the stars. I love taking photos. I love building telescopes. So I wanted to do something which um, I could apply, do applied optics. And so my first interaction with medicine or my motivation for medicine was actually driven by my interest in in um, ophthalmology which is quite ironic it was very specific I guess but um, I uh, went to an optometrist when I was year in year 11 that was my first interaction and I um, I asked this optometrist oh do you operate and he said no you have to you have to go and become an ophthalmologist to do that so that was sort of what prompted me to pursue a career in medicine and I still remember my Monash Uni Medical School interview where um, some grumpy grey-haired professor asked me why I wanted to do medicine and I said actually I want to be an ophthalmologist and I think they were a bit uh, taken back but um, that's sort of my interest uh, stemmed from my interest in astronomy and applied optics so that's that was my you know how my career started. Yeah that's really interesting I'm glad you found such a perfect field. So let's talk a bit about ophthalmology because I don't know too much about how you even get into it and I'm sure other medical students are probably in this position as well but how do you become an ophthalmologist? Look I think um, there's you know I can share my journey and I'm privileged now that I'm uh, actually involved in a lot of ophthalmology uh, teaching um, of our registrars and, and medical students like yourself but um, I'm also involved in selection and I think the selection process has really um, improved in the last um, three years, I would say it's become a lot more objective. Um, I think the first thing is to have an exposure, to have some inspiration, to find out what the job is like. And that can be quite difficult because not every hospital has an ophthalmology unit. So I would encourage uh, people to get a glimpse of what ophthalmology involves. I think the key steps is to firstly have that um, exposure. And then it's a matter of like anything in life. Um, working towards rounding up your CV. I think the key things that have traditionally been uh, important in any competitive surgical specialty, um, particularly in ophthalmology, is having some research under your belt, um, some clinical skills, and also I think having some senior medical uh, level experience broadly. So I, I did some time working at the Royal Melbourne in intensive care, neurosurgery. Uh, so these are very high acuity, time critical uh, fields, uh, very you know, resource intensive, busy jobs. But I think it actually makes you a, a better doctor because um, we talked about cataract in the previous episode. But if you think about ophthalmology patients, 
and they, by and large, majority are actually um, elderly. So they will have systemic comorbidities such as diabetes. They may have endocrine issues, heart issues. Um, we talk, talked about several of those risk factors previously. So you have to understand that um, there are many conditions which have ophthalmic manifestations. So you have to have a, a good background in general medicine. And then it's about going and developing your career, um, getting some broad exposures and maybe doing some volunteering. I went to Ethiopia, which is an amazing experience, but equally there's, there's incredible opportunities in regional rural, rural Australia to be engaged in eye programs. Um, something I'm really passionate about is also pediatric ophthalmology. I think pediatric services are uh, underserved and I really enjoy having a mixture of seeing children in my practice because their vision related quality of life is uh, you can see if you impact or improve a child's vision, it will potentially benefit for them for the entire, you know, another 70, 80 years of their life. So that's another thing that drives me. And one other thing I'd say is teaching. So get involved in as much teaching opportunities in regular teaching activities, whether it's amongst your peers uh, or when you're uh, interns and junior doctors teaching medical students. I think these are all important aspects to round your CV. And the way we actually met is that you were teaching us in Mordura, which for anyone who doesn't know where that is, that's six hours away from Melbourne. It kind of feels like it's a little bit in the middle of nowhere. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in working in rural areas? Yeah, so I actually uh, grew up in a small country town um, before I came to Melbourne to finish high school. Uh, it's a town called Wyala, which is in the Air Peninsula in South Australia. It's about five and a half hours drive from Adelaide, northwest of Adelaide, uh, near the Flinders Ranges. And um, so I always had an a interest, a dream of going back to serve a regional area. Obviously, I'm based in Melbourne. My family's in Melbourne. So it's a bit difficult to fly in and fly out of Wyala. It's a bit far away. Um, so an opportunity came up through a colleague um, uh, to do some work as an ophthalmologist in Mildura. And I had been in Mildura as a medical student um, in first year, in second year, uh, in fourth year. So I had previous experience with the town. Um, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Um, and I, uh, I always wanted to give back. So, and having grown up in the country, I think you're very appreciative and respectful of, um, of, of specialists, uh, any access to, to specialty level services. And I'm very excited about not only providing clinical service, but also engaging with the medical school, which I, uh, which taught me so much. So um, I'm really privileged to have that, that connection again. Yeah, that's really fantastic. Have you seen any differences in between how you practice ophthalmology in metro versus how you practice it rural or any differences in the types of cases that you normally see? So I'll start with the cases. The cases are, are different, I must say. I think rural patients are much more stoic, but also they're, they're starved of that access. So they will present later. Um, uh, in eye care, one of our key, I guess, collaborative eye care professional groups is optometrists. So I found that the practitioners, the optometrists in country towns are exceptionally skilled and they're, they're very good in managing things. Um, and they also know when to refer in a timely manner, but the patients still wait a long time to, to get access to that. So by the time they often come to see me as a surgeon, the cataracts are really advanced or there are other conditions such as glaucoma or macular degeneration are also um, have progressed significantly. So, um, so that's one aspect. So I, 
I do spend time talking with the patient, with the referrers, including the GP, to um, give them some education, some counselling about how they can uh, maybe uh, some of the symptoms early um, to monitor um, and engage with their community providers that are also available, such as optometrists, um, on a regular basis to make sure that you know things aren't getting delayed. So patients tend to be a bit more, more stoic as well and put up with a lot more in the country. So the cases can be more complicated. In the city, you know, patients have access to services. They often come earlier. Um, uh, the other aspect, which is more of a practical thing, is that, that private versus public sort of debate. So by and large, patients in the country may not have private insurance as much as those in the city. Um, that can be socioeconomic driven, other factors. So you need to be aware of that. And that, that may also influence why they have waited so long. And in terms of well, the first question that you asked was, does my practice change? I think, um, I'd like to think no. I, I have practices in East Melbourne, which is um, very much the city uh, centre of Melbourne, in the northern suburbs in Essendon, and then obviously coming up to Mildura. But I, I remember early on when I was a, a junior doctor, I read Fred Hollow's autobiography. And for those who don't know or haven't heard, Fred Hollis was a very pioneering ophthalmologist in Australia, he did a lot of a lot of great work and and one of the one of the, his um sayings was that it doesn't matter whether you're operating on the on the prime minister or you're operating on um just an average person on the street uh, you treat everybody with respect and, and dignity and give them the same level of, of care and so this I, I i tend to think that i have that same conversation and uh, approach to any patient that i treat so i at an individual level i don't think i um I wouldn't treat anybody uh, differently. Obviously, I think trying to facilitate surgery when there are huge public waiting lists in the country is, is tricky. So everybody is potentially a high triage category that I've experienced. And so trying to prioritise an individual above the other, it's, you have to look into individual factors and the, whether they live alone, what's their risk of having a fall if they don't have surgery. Um, the country patients have waited a long time for just to come and see me, let alone to have surgery. So you have to be able to uh, individualize and, and put that into perspective. But in terms of surgical technique and practice, no. Um, and our clinic in Mildura is really equipped with all the, um, the modern age, um, top of the range diagnostic equipment. I think that's, that's another thing. So I'm very pleased that I can bring that, I guess, city level expertise to the to the country and and even the operating equipment we have at the base hospital is is absolutely modern and in fact sometimes better than some of the hospitals I've worked at in Melbourne so which is really fantastic for the, the people who live in the country. Yeah it is and it's, it's great that you are able to come and practice both in Melbourne and in Mildura. So flying back and forth quite a bit um, coming up once a month how do you manage to find balance in your life between everything? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I've got three young children, beautiful children. Um, they're under four. So I've got a very, very supportive wife. Uh, firstly, you have to acknowledge that. So I think the key thing is to have a passion for what you do, because if you're passionate and you enjoy what you do, then it makes your life, it doesn't feel like a chore. It just feels um, enjoyable. But you also need an outlet. Uh, for me, I took up running when I was at medical school. It's a very time efficient way of keeping fit. I also love playing tennis 
and I also play the guitar. So I make a point that whenever I come up to Mujura, I go on a long run and it's the weather's nice and you've got a beautiful river. So um, just having little uh, outlets like that, I think are important. I do activities that I enjoy, such as teaching. I actually find teaching is a, a nice way to unwind um, and I quite enjoy that. So I think the, the key thing is to keep yourself fresh, uh, motivated, and I think it's important to prioritise family and friends as well, particularly in this pandemic time. It's been tricky not to be able to physically see your friends, but I make it a point that I uh, spend as much time after work finishes and I go home, you know, that's family time. And, um, and I set aside time to do my academic work as well during the week. But I think it's really important to have, have that balance. And it also makes you a better doctor because when you are with patients, you don't feel rushed. You don't feel like there's other things on your mind. You're able to give them your 100% attention. Um, and it also keeps you physically fit and mentally fit. So, yeah, I think it's important to have a balance, to have an outlet. That's what I do. Love that you're also hyping Mildura. We always have fantastic weather here. It's wonderful for running. So changing topics a little bit, have you had any memorable moments or any stories that have really struck with you? Yeah, I mentioned about that lady when I was an intern who had a homonymous field loss. I think that was one thing that I, I remember. The other experience was um, when I worked in Ethiopia and just it, it was a moment that made me realise or affirmed in my mind that I wanted to be an ophthalmologist and eye surgeon. Um, it was a lady who had walked four days with her son holding onto her son to our makeshift cataract service uh, in a place called Afar, which is... Uh, about a six-hour bus ride from the capital, Addis Ababa. So she had walked through the desert with her son to attend this eye, eye clinic uh, and hospital where we're doing cataract surgeries. And for the last 20 years, this lady looked like she was about 80, but she was only about 55. For the last 20 years, she had basically was legally blind. And all she was confined to do was uh, she lived in a makeshift tent um, and she would have a rope, which her son made, to the uh, outdoor toilet. And she would cling to this rope and walk to the toilet and then come back in her tent. And so she hadn't seen her son for that period of time as a vision deteriorated due to cataracts. And the cataracts are sun, ju just due to sun exposure because they are um, nomadic herdsmen. They um, don't wear any sun protection. They're out in the sun for their entire uh, working life. And so she developed these advanced cataracts. And I remember the day, so she she came in with white cataracts, uh, very advanced, and she had one eye operated. Um, and I remember the patients would, would sleep overnight in a makeshift ward in the courtyard of the hospital. And the first day in the morning, we'd arrive at seven o'clock and take off their patch and, uh, and, and just assess their vision. And she was, she was a very stoic sort of lady, uh, not too emotional, but she started crying because she'd first time in 20 years seen her son and also her grand, grandchildren, which she hadn't seen for that time. So that was a real profound moment, you know, sort of in the middle of nowhere where we're doing um, manual small incision cataract surgery. You've just suddenly just changed somebody's life. So I think that was a very gratifying uh, experience and it also brought home to me that being an eye surgeon you have this incredible skill so I didn't speak a word of Ethiopian um, uh, but we were able to you know provide services which you can take your skills wherever in the world and 
and potentially help. So um, that was something that I will never forget. That's really powerful. I always enjoy hearing about these kinds of stories and seeing how much of a difference we can make in people's lives through medicine. And the other really amazing thing is that these are skills that we learn and they're translatable across the world, just as you said in your story. Even though you didn't speak the same language, you were still able to communicate in a way and you were really able to help. From all your experiences, do you have any tips for medical students or doctors who might also be interested in going to work in other countries or overseas? Um, I, th I think that my biggest tip would be do it. So I think one of the things I realised is we're very sheltered, we're very privileged in Australia uh, and particularly in Melbourne. Uh, we get one perspective of how healthcare is provided. I think it's very, very important to get a global perspective of healthcare systems, about the challenges, not just in the profession that you want to do, but maybe um, even something else. So when I was a final year student, I did my electives actually in intensive care. I really wanted to, I was also very inter interested in ICU and critical care. So I went and did an elective in Darwin at the Royal Darwin Hospital in the ICU. And that was amazing. I mean, that was something that, uh, was totally different from working in Melbourne. We'd see pneumonias from conditions like acinetobacter and meliodosis, which are conditions you'd rarely see in Melbourne. And then I went and did an elective in Johor Bahru in Malaysia, and I saw dengue and yellow fever and uh, other, you know, malaria, sort of other conditions that uh, I didn't experience before. Um, uh, and then obviously in my ophthalmology journey, working in Ethiopia, I've also done work in um, Vietnam, in Cambodia and the Philippines uh, through some research I was doing um, at the University of Melbourne at the INDEA with um, the WHO. So um, I think it's really important. So it's it gives you a better perspective of healthcare. It makes you a more grounded doctor. I think it makes you more humble. Um, and um, I feel quite a few of my friends have gone on to work. In fact, one of them is a nephrologist and she's currently in the Bacar Valley in Lebanon, um, working for the Medicine Sans Frontiers. So um, uh, it's, I think it's an incredible, so if you ever have an interest, I would recommend anybody to go and work and um, overseas, um, do experience something different. I think it's, it'll make you a better doctor. Yeah, that sounds really amazing and so many things to look forward to. So through all of these journeys that you've had, do you have an important leadership lesson that you've learned? Yeah, I think I've been privileged enough to have some amazing mentors. Um, and I think the key thing from leadership is that um, one of my attributes that I, I look up to and, and I'm always trying to develop is that you can be a leader um, by doing your own work. So um, even in your own environment, whether that's in your particular unit uh, in a hospital, whether it's amongst your hospital, you know, regardless of how small your institution is, I think you can aspire to be excellent. And the other attribute that I, I try to develop and work on is that concept of expertise. So there's a Swedish, Swedish academic who actually unfortunately recently passed away Anders Ericsson. So I'd encourage all of you to, to read some of Anders Ericsson's works on expertise. So what he, what he talks about is that when you're a doctor, when you train, you go through training, you become a consultant, you leave, you reach a level of competency. So people one day will say, yep, you've, you're, you've passed these exams, 
you're now a consultant, but learning doesn't stop there. In fact, that's just the beginning. And so when somebody says you're competent, try and push yourself further, make yourself, set yourself new challenges. And this is what Ericsson talked about in his, in his you know, entire career of educational research is trying to acquire new skills, refine your skills, continue to try to improve because ultimately that will translate to you to your patient care and uh, make you a, a better clinician, better surgeon. Um, and it gets you thinking and it prompts research ideas. So um, so they're the two things, um, being a leader amongst your own environment and continuing to try to improve and become an expert. Yeah, I love that message. So we're coming towards the end of our time. I don't want to keep you any longer. But before we do end, I wanted to ask, do you have a motto that you live your life by that you could share with us? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, the key thing, I think, is to be humble um, and uh, just to appreciate um, every opportunity that you get. And the other motto I like is try to learn something every day. So whether that's from uh, a peer, uh, a senior, a student, you try to learn something every day. So, um, and I think that's that's what I, you know, um, uh, a couple of things. It just keeps you on your toes. Um, it, uh, yeah, it makes you constantly curious and constantly want to get better. And I think uh, that's ultimately makes you a better doctor and provide better care for your patients. So that probably be my, my little motto. Yeah, thanks for having a chat to us. I think we've all learned something new today from listening to this. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy life to have a chat to us all. You've been a wonderful speaker and it's really interesting to hear all of the stories and everything that you've learned through your career as well. Thanks, Angela. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I'd be more than, more than happy to uh, see more of you in clinic, in theatre, and if you want any further exposure to ophthalmology we have elective students junior doctors rotating through the IND hospital I'm happy for you know those of you in Mildura or keen to do some rural uh, regional exposure yeah shoot me an email and um, yeah but just have that inspiration get some exposure and uh, yeah I think it's very important but thank you so much for the opportunity thank you I hope this inspires someone to reach out and maybe find a passion in ophthalmology 